Chapter 31 of Pilgrimage to El Medina and Mecca. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thelma Meyer. Chapter 31 of Personal Narrative of a Pilgrimage to Al Medina and Mecca by Richard Francis Burton. The Three Days of Drying Flesh. All was dull after the excitement of the great festival. The heat of the succeeding night rendered every effort to sleep abortive, and as our little camp required a guard in a place so celebrated for plunderers, I spent the greater part of the time sitting in the clear, pure moonlight. Footnote 1. It is not safe to perform this ceremony at an early hour, although the ritual forbids it being deferred after sunset. A crowd of women, however, assembled at the devils in the earlier part of the eleventh night, our tenth, and these dames, despite the oriental modesty of face veils, attack a stranger with hands and stones as heartily as English hop-gatherers hastened to duck the Acteon who falls in their way. Hence, popular usage allows stones to be thrown by men until the morning prayers of the eleventh Zul-Hijjah. End of footnote. After midnight, we again repaired to the devils, and beginning with the Ula, or first pillar, at the eastern extremity of Muna, threw at each seven stones, making a total of twenty-one, with the ceremonies before described. On Thursday, September 15, 1853, we arose before dawn and prepared with a light breakfast for the fatigues of a climbing walk. After half an hour spent in hopping from boulder to boulder, we arrived at a place situated on the lower declivity of the Jabal Sabir, the northern wall of the Muna Basin. Here is the Majar al-Kabsh, the dragging place of the ram, a small whitewashed square divided into two compartments. The first is entered by a few ragged steps in the southeast angle, which lead to an enclosure thirty feet by fifteen in the northeast corner is a block of granite a in which a huge gash several inches broad some feet deep and completely splitting the stone in knife shape notes the spot where ibrahim's blade fell when the archangel gabriel forbade him to slay ismail his son the second compartment contains a diminutive hypogeum b in this cave the patriarch sacrificed the victim which gives the place a name we descended by a flight of steps and under the stifling ledge of rock found mats and praying rugs which at this early hour were not overcrowded we followed the example of the patriarchs and prayed a two-bow prayer in each of the enclosures. After distributing the usual gratification, we left the place and proceeded to mount the hill, 
in hope of seeing some of the apes said still to haunt the heights these animals are supposed by the meccans to have been jews thus transformed for having broken the sabbath by hunting footnote two traditions about these animals vary in the different parts of arabia at aden for instance they are supposed to be a remnant of the rebellious tribe of ad it is curious that the popular arabic like the persian names saadan maimun shadi etc etc are all expressive of a probably euphuistic propitiousness End of footnote they abound in the elevated regions about arafat and taif where they are caught by mixing the juice of the asclepius and narcotics with dates and other sweet bait footnote three the egyptians generally catch train and take them to the banks of the nile where the kurayeti ape leader is a popular character and a footnote the hajazi ape is a hideous cynocephalus with small eyes placed close together and almost hidden by a disproportionate snout a greenish-brown coat long arms and a stern of lively pink like fresh meat they are docile and are said to be fond of spirituous liquors and to display an inordinate affection for women al masudi tells about them a variety of anecdotes according to him their principal use in hind and chin was to protect kings from poison by eating suspected dishes the badawin have many tales concerning them it is universally believed that they catch and kill kites by exposing the rosy portion of their persons and concealing the rest the bird pounces upon what appears to be raw meat and presently finds himself viciously plucked alive throughout arabia an old story is told of them a merchant was once plundered during his absence by a troop of these apes they tore open his bales and charmed with the scarlet hue of the tarbushes began applying these articles of dress to uses quite opposite to their normal purpose the merchant was in despair when his slave offered for a consideration to recover the goods placing himself in the front like a fugelman to the ape company he went through a variety of manoeuvres with a tarbush and concluded with throwing it far away the recruits carefully imitated him and the drill concluded with his firing a shot the plunderers decamped and the caps were recovered failing to see any apes we retired to the tent ere the sun waxed hot in anticipation of a terrible day nor were we far wrong in addition to the heat we had swarms of flies and the blood-stained earth began to reek with noisome vapors naught moved in the air except kites and vultures 
speckling the deep blue sky. The denizens of earth seemed paralyzed by the fire from above. I spent the time between breakfast and nightfall, lying half-dressed upon a mat, moving round the tent-pole to escape the glare, and watching my numerous neighbors, male and female. The Indians were particularly kind, filling my pipe, offering cooled water, and performing similar little offices. I repaid them with a supply of provisions, which, at the Muna market prices, these unfortunates could ill afford. When the moon arose, the boy Mohammed and I walked into the town, performed our second lapidation. Footnote 4. The ceremony, as the reader will have perceived, is performed by the Shafis on the 10th, the 11th, and the 12th of Zul Hijjah. The Hanafis conclude their stoning on the 13th. The times vary with each day and differ considerably in religious efficacy. On the night of the 10th, our 9th, for instance, lapidation according to some authorities cannot take place. Others permit it with a sufficient reason. Between the dawn and sunrise it is macru, or disapproved of. Between sunrise and the declination is the sunat time, and therefore the best. From noon to sunset it is muba, or permissible. The same is the case with the night, if a cause exist. On the 11th and 12th of Zulhijjah, lapidation is disapproved of from sunset to sunrise. The sunat is from noon to sunset, and it is permissible at all other hours. The number of stones thrown by the Shafis is 49, viz. 7 on the 10th day, 7 at each pillar, total 21 on the 11th day, and the same on the 12th. Zul Hijjah. The Hanafis also throw 21 stones on the 13th, which raises their number to 70. The first seven bits of granite must be collected at Muzdalifa. The rest may be taken from the Muna Valley, and all must be washed seven times before being thrown. In throwing, the Hanafis attempt to approach the pillar, if possible, standing within reach of it. Shafis may stand at a greater distance, which should not, however, pass the limit of five cubits. End of footnote. And visited the coffee houses. The shops were closed early, but business was transacted in places of public resort till midnight. We entered the houses of numerous acquaintances who accosted my companion and were hospitably welcomed with pipes and coffee. The first question always was, Who is this pilgrim? And more than once the reply, an Afghan, elicited the language of my own country, which I could no longer speak. Of this phenomenon, however, 
nothing was thought many afghans settled in india know not a word of pushtu and even above the passes many of the townspeople are imperfectly acquainted with it the meccans in consequence of their extensive intercourse with strangers and habits of travelling are admirable conversational linguists they speak arabic remarkably well and with a volubility surpassing the most lively of our continental nations persian turkish and hindustani are generally known and the mutawifs who devote themselves to various races of pilgrims soon become masters of many languages returning homewards we were called to a spot by the clapping of hands footnote five here called safk it is mentioned by herodotus and known to almost every oriental people the Badawin sometimes though rarely use a table or kettle drum yet amongst the parda or musical modes of the east we find the hijazi ranking with the isfahani and the iraqi southern arabia has never been celebrated for producing musicians like the banks of the tigris to which we owe besides castanets and cymbals the guitar the drum and the lute father of the modern harp the name of this instrument is the corruption of the arabic al oud arabic text through liutu and luth into lute and a footnote and the loud sound of song we found a crowd of badawin surrounding a group engaged in their favorite occupation of dancing the performance is wild in the extreme resembling rather the hopping of bears than the inspirations of terpiscore the bystanders joined in the song an interminable recitative as usual in the minor key and orientals are admirable timists it sounded like one voice the refrain appeared to be la yaha la yaha to which no one could assign a meaning at other times they sang something intelligible for instance arabic that is to say on the great festival day at muna i saw my lord i am a stranger amongst you therefore pity me this couplet may have like the puerilities of certain modern and european poets an abstruse and mystical meaning to be discovered when the arabs learn to write erudite essays upon nursery rhymes the style of saltation called rufaya rivaled the song the dancers raised both arms above their heads brandishing a dagger pistol or some other small weapon they followed each other by hops on one or both feet sometimes indulging in the most demented leaps whilst the bystanders clapped with their palms a more enlivening measure this i was told is especially their war dance they have other forms which my eyes were not fated to see amongst the badawin of al-hijaz 
unlike the Somali and other African races, the sexes never mingle. The girls may dance together, but it would be disgraceful to perform in the company of men. After so much excitement, we retired to rest and slept soundly. On Friday the 12th, Zul Hijah, the camels appeared, according to order, at early dawn, and they were loaded with little delay. We were anxious to enter Mecca in time for the sermon, and I, for one, was eager to escape the now pestilential air of Muna. Literally, the land stank. Five or six thousand animals had been slain and cut up in this devil's punch bowl. I leave the reader to imagine the rest. The evil might be avoided by building abattoirs, or more easily still, by digging long trenches and by ordering all pilgrims under pain of mulkt to sacrifice in the same place. Unhappily, the spirit of al-Islam is opposed to these precautions of common sense. Inshallah and kismat must take the place of prevention and of cure, and at Mecca, the headquarters of the faith, a desolating attack of cholera is preferred to the impiety of flying in the face of providence and the folly of endeavoring to avert inevitable decrees. Footnote 6. Note to third edition. Since this was written, there have been two deadly epidemics which began, it is reported, at Muna. The victims, however, have never numbered 700,000 nor is each pilgrim required to sacrifice one animal at the shrine of Mohammed, as we find it in, quote, Cholera Prospects by Tilbury Fox, M.D., Hardwick. End of footnote. Mounting our camels, and led by Masood, we entered Muna by the eastern end, and from the litter through the remaining twenty-one stones, I could now see the principal lines of shops, and having been led to expect a grand display of merchandise, was surprised to find only mat booths and sheds stocked chiefly with provisions. The exit from Muna was crowded, for many, like ourselves, were flying from the revolting scene. I could not think without pity of those whom religious scruples detained another day and a half in this foul spot. After entering Mecca, we bathed, and when the noon drew nigh, we repaired to the harim for the purpose of hearing the sermon. Descending to the cloisters, below the Bab al-Ziyadah, I stood wonderstruck by the scene before me. The vast quadrangle was crowded with worshippers sitting in long rows, and everywhere facing the central black tower. The showy colors of their dresses were not to be surpassed by a garden of the most brilliant flowers, and such diversity of detail would probably not be seen massed together in any other building upon earth. The women, a dull and somber-looking group, sat apart in their peculiar place. 
the pasha stood on the roof of Zemzem, surrounded by guards in Nizam uniform, where the principal ulema stationed themselves. The crowd was thicker, and in the more auspicious spots naught was to be seen but a pavement of heads and shoulders. Nothing seemed to move but a few darwayshis who, censer in hand, sidled through the rows and received the unsolicited arms of the faithful. Apparently in the midst, and raised above the crowd by the tall pointed pulpit whose gilt spire flamed in the sun, sat the preacher, an old man with snowy beard, the style of headdress called Taylasan. Footnote 7 a scarf thrown over the head with one end brought round under the chin and passed over the left shoulder composes the tylosan and a footnote covered his turban which was as white as his robes footnote eight as late as ibn jaber's time the preacher was habited from head to foot in black and two muazins held black flags fixed in rings on both sides of the pulpit with the staves propped upon the first step and a footnote and a short staff supported his left hand footnote nine mr lane remarks that the wooden sword is never held by the preacher but in a country that has been won from infidels by the muslims burckhardt more correctly traces the origin of the custom to the early days of al-islam when the preachers found it necessary to be prepared for surprises and all authors who like ibn jaber described the meccan ceremonies mention the sword or staff the curious reader will consult this most accurate of muslim travellers and a perusal of the pages will show that anciently the sermon differed considerably from and was far more ceremonious than the present kutbah and a footnote presently he arose took the staff in his right hand pronounced a few inaudible words footnote ten the words were peace be upon ye and the mercy of allah and his blessings and a footnote and sat down again on one of the lower steps while a muazin at the foot of the pulpit recited the call to sermon then the old man stood up and began to preach as the majestic figure began to exert itself there was a deep silence presently a general amin was intoned by the crowd at the conclusion of some long sentence and at last toward the end of the sermon every third or fourth word was followed by the simultaneous rise and fall of thousands of voices i have seen the religious ceremonies of many lands but never nowhere aught so solemn so impressive as this end of chapter thirty one recording by thelma meyer brooklyn new york